0: I didn't have the highest offer, but I built a relationship with the owner of the land. That relationship is paying off. That trust is worth more than the higher price somebody else was was offering. Hello, and thank you for joining us today on the Gentle Art of Crushing It show, where we focus on learning and sharing with our listeners all there is to know about how to create success in our lives. This show stands on the shoulders of giants. Our mission is to empower and inspire our listeners to create the life of their dreams whilst having a blast in the process. Let's celebrate life together. Welcome to the show. All right,
1: welcome back to The Gentle Art of Crushing It, and this is another group episode. Uh, We're going to be doing this a little bit different today. We're going to be focusing on on an asset class. And specifically, we're gonna be focusing on uh, self-storage. So today we have with us um, both Doug Clark and myself, but most importantly, we have Sean Graham, who is actually an operator in the space. So, you know, Sean, I think it might make sense if we can, can you kind of just kick this off and tell the audience uh, kind of give us a brief overview of what is self-storage so we start Uh, on a level playing field and make sure everybody knows what what it is we're talking about?
0: Yeah. So self-storage is just, I mean, simply put, it's renting sheds, right? It's just like you have people have extra stuff and they don't have enough room in their house or maybe they inherited stuff. Maybe they're moving and they need a place to store things. So um, the beauty of self-storage is it's rented on a month-to-month contract, uh, typically, right? So you have a lot of control over the asset class. You have a lot of control over the the revenue the customer and you can kind of as opposed to like a long-term lease where you get into with um, apartment complexes with self-storage it, you can almost manage it like airline um, companies manage flights right and it's all based on supply and demand so the more demand there is the prices can go up the less demand there is the prices go down you kind of adjust accordingly um, so really the revenue control is the beauty of self-storage but um overall it's a really simple simple business and that's really why i i love it and that's the the reason i chose it for my commercial real estate uh future what i decided to focus on and yeah i'm a couple years into it now and having fun and uh we're in interesting times you know it's 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 different. The last couple of years with COVID and all the money being pumped into the economy, we just saw so much demand. I mean, you could charge whatever you wanted, really. And I say that, you know, it's all, of course, relative. And um, I don't mean that completely, but you could increase rates 20%, right? And hey, you're still 100% full. And it's not like that anymore. Um, Interest rates have gone up. There's less movement in the housing market. Things have just changed a lot. Uh, so demand has really been affected and I'm seeing that at the, at the facilities uh, and I think everybody is nationwide. So it's an interesting time. Um, and I think operations right now is more important than than ever with self-storage, so.
1: Okay. Yeah, yeah it, it's interesting. Kind of, um, you know, my vantage point
0: is that I'm invested
1: in, I don't know, six or seven different asset classes. And when I when I think about self storage, I think um, kind of as you mentioned, easy operations. So you don't right. have dozens of employees that are managing this asset. You essentially have um, metal buildings sitting on concrete that will be here, you know, after the apocalypse. Essentially, right? There's there's right. not a lot to those. Uh, but I but I also hear that cash flow on these can generally be better than multifamily and depreciation uh quite often can be a little bit less than what you might see in some of the other types of structures, essentially. So um yeah, as a, as a passive investor, I like to invest in the space because of consistent cash flows with, um you know, essentially good operators that roll technology into these, these units to make sure they're running really efficiently. So.
0: Yep. Yep. Totally agree. Yeah. It's, um, they're great businesses. You just have to be careful about supply and demand. And what I think I'm seeing too is in times like this, I believe at least in, based on my experience so far with uh, this, uh, if you'd call it a recession, um, the lower income areas, they're they're hit harder, you know, like these, the interest rates and stuff, the banks being tight with their money, uh, the people in lower income areas like right below 50,000 median household income um they're getting hit a lot harder you're seeing a lot a big difference first the okay well the average income is 120,000 a year right those guys aren't seeing as much of the effects um but yeah it's just a it's an interesting time and you're right technology management that's everything so um it's just important that you really, you really know what you're doing, or have in place the correct third party managers that do know what they're doing, right? Because if you don't, well, now's the time where a lot of those businesses uh, will be exposed.
1: Yeah, yeah, interesting too. I, and I wonder, you know, you mentioned um, average incomes, and I, my understanding is in the self storage space, um, it does. They they use this term of recession resistant in this space where they're saying, you know, dollars are made in this space when people have major life changes, which tend to happen as the economy is going up or as the economy is going down. So people get divorced, get new jobs, move, whatever, during those transitionary periods. And the dollars seem to um, or at least occupancy seems to be tied to life events, which are occurring Pretty regularly. now I, I'm curious though, you mentioned the average income piece is that that's probably more a function of the markets that you're choosing than it is the the um, asset class because um, those same incomes still apply to apartments or industrial or office or any of those other things. So I'm curious, do you think that it it impacts this space more? or impacts this asset class more, or is that just unique to the type of markets?
0: So I think um, the higher the income, right? The more you will see customers who are focused on quality, right? And the lower the income, the more you're gonna see customers who are focused on price, right? So I like to offer the facility that's gated uh, has the security cameras has the automatic um gate opener well lit that sort of thing right you can rent online has a call center and that's important to a lot of a lot of people but to some people it's not they just want the cheapest unit they can get and they're gonna you know put their um their uh, lock on it and 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 that's all um so it's just it's just it kind of just depends so when you have uh markets that you're in lower income areas well the people you're gonna see more people who are going for that price right and so if you're in an area where hey you got extra space in public and u-haul right around the corner and they can outprice you all day long that's where they're gonna that's where they're gonna go so you know uh, one facility we have the average income's low it's probably in the 40s um But we're the only facility within five miles. And there's some land barriers too, right? So it's not difficult or it's not easy for them to go to other facilities. Or if they do, they have to go way out of their way. So that facility, even though the income's low, it's still, you know, 90 plus percent occupied. It's doing very well. And it's kind of shocking to see how that stuff really matters more When you're going through a recession, money's tight, people are, it's top of mind, you know, even if for everybody, right? Everybody's thinking about saving and not spending as much. And it's just, uh, I think it's, it's working, right? The higher interest rates and it's working. Okay.
2: Slow them down. I I had a quick question, uh, Sean, about um, sort of automating because I guess the people that I've followed a little bit in the self-storage space, like I guess AJ Osborne and a couple other people, um, from my understanding, you could pretty much automate these things to where they're completely, I mean, hands off in the sense that you don't really need a property manager on site or you don't need to be on site 24-7. Um, What are your thoughts there? Is that pretty much how you have yours running or what do you recommend? Uh, I do. So I am
0: a big fan of like working with businesses that have the property maintenance capabilities. So many people just go out and hire an individual. They say, oh, this guy mows the lawn. He can also do the lock check. He can... um, overlock, unlock units, clean up the facility. I haven't had as much success with that. Some people I do, right? Some it has worked, but I found more success working with either like property management companies that already have maintenance uh, teams or contractors that are doing similar type of work, right? And it's, it's easy for them to do because then you're, you are relying on a business as opposed to just relying on an individual. So you might be paying them $10 more an hour, $15 more an hour, whatever it is, but you're going to get more consistency and quality work. But to answer your question, yes, they absolutely can be run remotely. Uh, all of my facilities are are run m- remotely, um, and that's that's what we do.
1: And, and so do you... Um... Like, are there property management companies that focus solely on self-storage or you, do you use like an apartment property manager or office property manager that also will do this kind of stuff? I'm curious.
0: Um, we we hire for some third-party managers, right? Sometimes we do the third-party management, like we keep it in-house and do the, the management. So the bigger you go, the bigger facility, the more it makes sense to... Go outsource, go hire a third party party manager. Um, it really starts to make more sense once you are probably above fifty thousand rentable square feet, right? Um, when you're smaller, like I have facilities that are twelve thousand square feet, right and those are tough because people you know you can hire you can still hire a call center, which I do for all of them. But to hire a third-party manager, you're talking probably a couple thousand, maybe a few thousand a month, and it just is too big of a of an impact on the, you know, on the net operating income to to justify it. Okay.
1: Yeah, I'm wondering, can we kind of get into some of the nuts and bolts too? Because like you're throwing square footage numbers around, and I'm assuming like I don't know, is the average unit like a hundred square feet or twenty square feet or
0: Yeah. Well, so it used to be people just wanted smaller units. They wanted five by fives, five by tens. And then, I mean, we're Americans. We just, we just grow. We just get more stuff. We got a lot of junk. Yeah. Yeah. We need bigger spaces. Right. And, um, yeah, I mean, like we have Amazon boxes coming to the house all the time. Right. And so (laughs) does everybody else. Yeah.
1: I think so. Yeah. uh,
0: so the and the advantage of those smaller units is you get to you get a higher rental rate per square foot, right? Got so it. you might be able to do, rent a um, a five by five for two dollars, two dollars and fifty cents a square foot, but then you get up to the, the ten by twenties and you're like, oh, okay, it's like eighty cents a square foot or something. Um, so I when I look at a facility, as long as they have like a decent mix from like a high level i'd look at the 10 by 10s and okay. say okay well they're running a 10 by 10 for a dollar or right a dollar square foot and it's like that's i can kind of take that rental rate apply it to the total square footage of the facility and that's going to be approximately their revenue um okay. but it depends on how they're weighted uh if it's if they're more larger units then. You know, that rent per square foot's gonna be a little bit less and if they're mostly smaller the units it might be a little bit more. So I, I would say like ten by tens, ten by fifteens, and ten by twenties are probably the most sought after units at this point. Um now you still have Got demand it. for the smaller ones, but just not not as much.
1: Okay. And, and are you buying in like major metros or some of these ancillary markets, the outlying areas? Where, where are you guys buying?
0: So we're focused, you know, everywhere. A lot of my focus has been on ground-up development recently. So right now I have one facility that uh, we're building 30,000 square feet of climate-controlled uh, self-storage. And, and that's going well. And that's more of a, I don't know, I'd say like a secondary, tertiary market. But um, I like to focus, like when it comes to the ground-up developments at least, um, on, I would say it being within the path of progress of, of like a suburban area where it's growing and continuing to, you know, have new housing developments, that sort of thing. Right. But like in a higher income area, so the closer you can get to like a median household income of a hundred thousand or, or more, the better. Um, just cause you're going to be able to charge more and get more on, um, uh, rental rate per, per square foot. But when it comes to existing, yeah. And for existing facilities, we'll look at pretty much everything, right? Because if it's a small facility, like it might not be a deal for me or might not be something that I want to take on at this point, I'd prefer to take, you know, to actually focus on larger facilities. I'd say at 20 or 30,000 square feet or, or higher. Right. But For the smaller facilities, maybe it's not a deal for me, but it's a deal for somebody else, right? Like, I mean, I started out with facilities that are 12,000 square feet. um, And they're great, they're great facilities, it's just more difficult to scale. But I can always take those on and then partner with other people or find a buyer who, you know, is who wants to take it on and and it makes sense for and um, I can get a piece out of it uh, that way. Or Maybe it's just, hey, pass it your way. This is a good deal for you. So
1: Sure. Okay. So anything and everything, send it your way, it sounds like.
0: Yeah, I mean quality matters a lot, you know. I don't I'm not as big on like portable units that are like pieced together and um, I want like I, th- I think I think it should have I don't know, ideally, right, you have the ability to expand to 20 or 30,000 square feet or more and they're well constructed units. I mean, I'm not like interested in, Hey, we have 5,000 square feet and they're portable units and they're, you know, in the parking lot over here next to the gas station. It's like, okay, yeah. well, that's great, but not, got not it. my thing. Um, got it. Okay. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a weird, it's a weird market. Right. And it's kind of, you have so many different like types and sizes of self storage facilities, where it's hard to just say like, oh, rule this out or don't rule Mm -hmm. this out. And it's better just to like take a look and there's just so many nuances to it.
1: Okay, yeah, so it's it's interesting to me in this space how um, you hear a lot of folks that will buy units, but they're also looking for facilities that have extra space around them so they can do additional development, which you don't run into that in an office or an apartment, where they're saying, "Hey, we're buying a hundred unit, but there's this field, and we're going to build a hundred more units over here." So, I like that it adds that development piece where you can actually get cash flow while you're developing uh, a larger, larger facility. So, have you looked at that as well, or?
0: Yeah, the one we're uh, building thirty thousand square feet right now of climate-controlled storage. I mentioned it already has thirty thousand square feet of existing self-storage <laughs> plus it has parking. So. For the investors, they look at it and say, Well, that really mitigates the the risk. You know, that's a a great opportunity. It's a hundred percent full too. Um, wow. it's the only self-storage that's facility incredible. within, you know, the town, and it's probably thirty thousand square feet. So if you look it's kind of weird. If you look at it from an aerial view, you're like, Well, here I see all these self-storage facilities on Google Maps, they're all popping up, you know. Um, and but it's like, okay, but there's a huge river in between this town and the the self-storage facility we have and all other ones so sure. they have to go drive 15 20 25 minutes to go get to those facilities so some will but mm-hmm. i mean that that creates a big a big difference sometimes you have to stephen Ware, he's a partner of mine he said this you have to look at drive time drive time is mm-hmm. you know super super important um but yeah I, I think the expansion opportunities often are are really good
2: Awesome. And it's it's a I like I had never thought of that drive time, but I would agree with that like a thousand percent, especially we're talking 15 minutes. If we're talking five minutes, maybe it may be not a big deal. Right. But then um, 15 minutes is a bit of a drive. Um, Now, it's my understanding that if you were to develop one from ground up, you're looking at approximately two years. So two years putting money in managing the project. Nothing coming in, right? And so the fact that you already have this 30,000 square foot, uh, you know, that's 100% full uh, tied to this, you know, other project that's being built is huge. But is that fairly accurate, about two years? What are you looking at, uh, you know, development-wise to get this other one up and running?
0: Uh, I would say that's, you know, so for that one, right, it'll take approximately a year to complete the development hopefully a bit, a little bit less but you never know it could go a little bit longer um it just just depends on a lot of factors that are not always in your control like the municipalities and the approvals and um shipping right it's everything the supply chain uh, issues that have kind of popped up over the last few years with covid and even though it seems like we're through the thick of of covid um there's still some supply chain issues so I'd say approximately a year and then you're going to need, depending on the size of the facility, it could take another year to lease up. It could take a few years to lease up. So it just really, it really depends. I mean, we look at that one as, hey, this is going to be a five-year play for, you know, to stabilize and get to the values that we want to to get to. Um, and it's also, I mean, I guess, also, you know, it's not the best time to go sell things right now because interest rate interest rates are high and so that's affecting cap rates and people can't afford to to pay as much because debt just isn't as cheap as it was a year or two ago and that might be the new normal and permanent or it might it might change but i don't know they'll take some time to to play out and we'll see
1: and and do do municipalities like self-storage i know they're not big fans of uh, mobile home parks, and maybe they are aren't for RV stuff. But what what's yeah. the appetite for self storage?
0: I think it used to be like, hey, we don't care, great, and now they're much more particular about it because you know you have towns that say, okay, sure, you can do it, but we want this beautiful block facility that's going to look nice and blend in, or we want all this. Um, up front uh i don't know just like the the yard or the gardening or whatever you want to call it and this number of trees um if it's zoned it's zoned right so Mm -hmm. they can just get very particular about the cosmetic part of it um but it depends on the municipality i mean if the municipality is pretty difficult to work with from the the get-go it's kind of I I don't know that it's really always worth the time. I mean, it can sure. be, um, sure. but sometimes yeah. it's better just to move on and just say, "Hey, let's go work with somebody who, yeah, who wants to work with us." And especially if you have to go through a zoning change, then that can be mm-hmm. in this the you know township isn't big on self storage. Well, you could just be spending a lot of money and wasting a lot of time.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. I always say.
1: I always say, like, there's so many places where we can put our money, and if you've got governments and municipalities that are making it hard, like, I, I'm just not going to fight that battle. I'm going to go right. somewhere else where they want where they want our dollars, our, our work. Like, you put blood, sweat, and tears into this thing for years and years and years, and if you're constantly going to be battling with, you know, the, the township or the city or whatever that is, it's just go somewhere where, where they're welcoming you with open arms, you know? Right.
2: Yeah, I love, right? I love that. I, I wanted to say, you know, we noticed a uh, similar uh, trend over the past few years in short-term rentals, white right, right, where towns are now, um, you know, blocking short-term rentals, requiring hotel tax and now even permits, right, and so that eats into your profits. Um, I wonder if uh, you know the same thing has been a similar uh, scenario with uh, short-term rentals because of the competition, the amount of money that's rolling into areas, right? So then the nicer areas like uh, uh, Beverly Hills, for example, would be uh, much harder and have much more hoops to jump through. Is that kind of what you're what you're seeing? Yeah, um,
0: I think once it's like a short-term rental. I don't know how that works, and that's very interesting to me because I've looked at them and I've wondered, like, okay, like, cool. This works for now, but what about when the town or city comes out with this new, like, law? If self-storage is zoned and it's entitled, then that's it. It's it's entitled, right? Um, I don't think you go get entitlement for a short-term rental, and I think that's kind of the, the biggest difference. So I'm not so worried about, okay, well, We changed our mind and now you're not allowed to be there unless it just, uh, you know, that's something you definitely have to like check on in due diligence. Like, Hey, was this approved and everything? Because I've, I've met somebody who it was, he bought the facility and had all these portable units. It was like half permanent, right? Buildings. And then half of them were portable units and he was running it for like 10 years. He bought it. And then as soon as he bought it the township's like, ah nope those portable units aren't allowed and they have to go right and so he just lost like I don't know how much it was maybe five thousand square feet but if it's a dollar a square foot in rent that could be five grand a month it's it could be a big impact especially if the facility is twenty thousand square feet or something right so yeah you have to you have to be careful there you don't want to be in that situation um yeah, that would be that'd be terrible.
2: Yeah, so when you are you know analyzing deals, you I'd imagine you have a checklist, right? Of like yes. one, how many facilities are within five miles? How many people live within five miles? The demographics, right? How the average income, sort of thing. Um, right. Do you mind like that lesson you just shared with us right there could save a listener. Potentially thousands of dollars, if not more. Right? Do you have any right. other, like, tips or tricks? Some things that are important to to look for when analyzing a deal that you don't mind sharing with us? Absolutely.
0: Um, so we want the the competitors to be about like ninety percent plus full. Right? Everybody's there's demand for more. I don't want to be within a mile, maybe even two miles of a reek. No, I don't want to be competing with public or extra space or U haul or anybody like that. Um, cause they can just, it's, they're playing a different game than, than we are and they can outprice you at any time. So that's, that can be difficult. Um, if it's a ground up development, I want, I want median household incomes of probably like 80,000 plus, um, I want about 30,000 people within a three-mile radius and 50,000 within a five-mile radius. Some people are more strict about that. Some people say, well, we want 50,000 within three miles. Um, what else? I want to see like, climate-controlled rents of about $1.50 a square foot um, per month. Right, That's about what you can get or more, ideally more. Um, so that means like, okay, I'd look and I'd just say, oh, okay, well, what are climate control ten by tens renting for? One hundred fifty dollars a month. There you go. Okay, so that's about the dollar fifty. Um, for non-climate-controlled, yeah, I'd like to see about a dollar uh, twenty-five or higher um, per square foot per month. Vehicles per day. That's huge, right? That's for ground-up development. I want to see fifteen thousand uh, vehicles per day, like passing the facility. Uh, the more the more the better um i've gone down the rabbit hole of like looking at this conversion thought it was great everything's perfect and then after spending all this time going and visiting it driving hours away to see it it's like oh it's in the flood zone it's like so that's something i checked like right away you know now to rule it out flood zone look and see if there's any environmental hazards that are on the state website um that that sort of thing so I think those are those are the big ones, anyways.
1: So you mentioned um, you mentioned that relationships are starting to be a bigger and bigger piece of the pie or piece of the puzzle. Yeah. Um, can you talk about that a little bit? What's what are building relationships doing for the business?
0: So I, I just think you know after COVID, everybody's so bunkered down. They're behind their computers. They're behind their phones, and ideally you run a business like that and that's like okay that's great but i've kind of i've by recent experiences it's reminded me that it's still super important to get out in front of the in front of people like you can't replace those those relationships and so um yeah cold call call on facilities call on land that could be developed but like get out of the house, go there, go, go see the people, you know, go meet in person because it it makes a huge difference. I, I had a, um, there's a piece of land that I want to develop and been working on it for, for months now. Right. And, um, I didn't have the highest offer. I didn't have the shortest contract time, but, um, I built a relationship with, with the seller, the owner of the land and met him in person and went out there and kept pursuing it. And that relationship is paying off because I've built trust that that trust is worth more than the higher price somebody else was, was offering. And that was just very fascinating to me because it was like, look, like, okay, maybe we'll you know, negotiate price a little bit. But overall, I'd rather work with you than work with somebody else that I just don't have that trust built with. So I think that is, that's extremely important. Um And, you know, everybody kind of wants your time too. So you have to do due diligence ahead of time and really make sure you're not wasting your time going and looking at something, right. Or at least know that you're speaking the same language with the seller, but then go out and, and, and visit the facility. So, um, yeah. And he verbally accepted this, my offer, like this week, I'm super excited about it. Right. And that could be a huge, huge project for me. Yeah. And it's not, the contract's not signed yet. Um, and it doesn't count until it's closed. But yeah, he, he's like, look, I want to work awesome. with you. Like, let's do it. Um, yeah. Here's the price. I, I mean, my timeline was like a year, right, for the contract, for everything to close, to raise the money, for due diligence. That's a long time. Mm-hmm. And, but to him, it's like, well, I'm not in a huge hurry. Um, that's okay. And, uh, I want to work with you. And so, yeah. That's been, I, I don't know. I think I've underestimated the power of just going out and meeting people and being face to face and building that, those relationships.
2: Yeah. I I would say uh, that that might even be one key way to stand out right now. Right. With so many people not doing that. And you see Randy doing that, right. He's, he's out at a lot of conventions. He's out meeting people. And, um, you know, so, so obviously you are as well. sounds like the both of you have had some luck with that, right?
1: Yeah, I I think at the end of the day, though people people do business with people they know, like and trust. We hear that saying over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it can't be um, you know overstated enough. It's it's people make decisions based on emotions, and then they find the facts to back up those emotions. And a lot of people think that we make decisions based on facts, and we don't. Um, I know personally. I get excited about something, and then yeah. I will find the data to tell you why my emotions are right. And um, you know, Sean meeting face face to face with you, like you built that relationship over time. Not only is he choosing to do business with you, but he's also not having to say no to a guy that he know like knows, likes, and trusts. So, um, right, that's that's real, like concrete stuff that you can depend on if you put the time and energy in to do it. So. Yeah, Speaking of
0: face-to-face, time. Randy, I'm going to be out there in, in Phoenix in uh, less than two months, first weekend of June, so oh, maybe good. we can, um, can swing by and we can do a, do a podcast or, or something.
1: There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'd be awesome. Very cool.
2: Get face-to-face. I love it. And uh, yeah, that that's a great insight, Randy, where now now that he's your friend, essentially, uh, he has to say no to his friend, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And, and let me ask you this because um, building trust takes time you, you know uh, even if we're creating evidence for that you know uh, in our minds it, which I a thousand percent agree right we don't we don't make decisions based off fact, uh, Randy right. that is so true. I love that um, you know it takes time how how long would you say that you put into this relationship uh, so far?
0: Oh man, that's a great question and you're making me think about it even more so um, I've put in uh, a couple months, right? And my initial offers were just—they weren't even responded to, like at all. Like I had to like really persevere and like, you know, get on the phone and say like, just talk to the guy, right? And just just be honest. Um, because you say like you—they you, look at it. It's like a year timeline. It's like I don't—they don't even consider it. Um, so I, I have to give credit to uh, a friend of mine, Fernando Angelucci, and he. He was, I just did a podcast interview, hasn't come out yet with him. Um, It was a great podcast though. And I was talking about, we were talking about like the abundance mentality, right? And that's just like a core value of mine. And just to like give and understand and know that like there are an unlimited number of deals and and an unlimited number of, of, um, of money out there and, the really like the more you give like you're going to receive the same same thing in return whether it's from that person or not it's just I believe that's how the universe works right so I I said I was like well you know you you told me once um you you said you found a great piece of property and you told them exactly what you're going to do you know build self-storage and stuff and I was like weren't you afraid that the owner was gonna say, oh, that's a great idea. I'll just build self-storage, right? And he's like, well, okay, good luck. You know, Go for it if that's what you you know, you know, wanna do, right? Because it's not like a simple thing. Like, okay, like I mean, you could do it. You could do it, right? But um, it's probably better to at least partner with them, partner with somebody who has the experience. And he said, he challenged me to take it a step further. And he said, not even like, it's like, okay, just be open about it. It's like, why don't you just go in and tell them exactly what you're gonna do? So I went in he said let's meet in person so i go there he's like all right it's gonna be me my kids my cfo and i'm like oh okay like i'm i'm a bit nervous now you know like so we go and we sit down and i said beforehand i asked like what do you want to talk about he's like i want to know like how is this how are these offers one offer i did like it was like a joint venture type of offer he's like well how's it advantage to you and how does it um how is it an advantage to me and so I took Fernando's advice and I said, like, I just need to show him everything. I just need to be completely open. And I went and I said, like, look, this is the project. This is how much it's going to cost to build. This is what my bank debt will approximately look like. This is how much money I'll need to raise. And I said, like, hey, if you joint venture with me, as opposed to me buying it, which we didn't end up going that, that route, but um I said, look, like, I won't have to raise nearly as much money. You'll save money. I'll give you a higher value. Like you'll make money. You won't, we can give you depreciation, offset capital gains. Um, and it's going to save me a lot of time, uh, just from like a capital raising perspective. And I pretty much just showed him everything. It showed him, showed him the numbers. And I it, I think it built a lot of, it built a lot of trust. It was like, look, the guy's, this guy's honest. Like here's what I'm doing. And um, I, I just had never thought about it until Fernando said it, but that was a big part of, I think building that relationship, Doug.
2: Yeah. Through that conversation, you probably showed him how solid you are as well, right? That you're, you're an expert here. You will get the deal done. And that kind of speaks volumes. Uh, also, even if your price is coming in lower, right?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I even said, honestly, I'm like, look, this might not work we could get go down the path and something happens in due diligence and it might not work like it might we might come up with something in in engineering where they say hey it can't work or the municipality um might not give the special uh use right it's like zone special use that might be might be an issue um there's a million things that could happen i was like but i believe in the site uh here's why it will work here's why i'm really excited about it and i i want to move move forward with this um but yeah it's just it's just being just being transparent and then it's also this kind of like this this podcast here right you're just asking me questions about self-storage well just gives him a a chance to ask me questions about self-storage and i mean i like talking i like talking business and real estate and self-storage and so it's just a fun thing to talk about and you know what i mean we might who who knows what will happen right like we could do business together on something else we could get into another he could invest i have no idea you know or maybe he just sells me the land and that's it but i don't think it i don't think it really you know it doesn't it won't do any any damage um so i've really I think 10 years ago, I would have said like, oh, I can't show him anything and I don't want to tell him what I'm going to do. And I'd have that, like more of that scarcity mindset of keeping everything close to my chest. Um,
2: Which he's going and, to pick up on and, you know, I right. feel like this guy's practicing deception. Right. So that, right. Yep. you know, didn't serve you either. Right. So I think, yeah. I think it's the right thing to do thousand percent.
1: And, and I, th- I feel like authenticity, I think in any realm is always better. And like, like you said, it's, this deal might not work because it might not work for either of you, but he could introduce you to the next hundred thousand square foot opportunity because he knows how professional you are, how much value you bring, um, you know, how good of a partner you could be for his buddy who happens to own whatever it is. So, and, and I think right. that, um, you know, we've got a lot of times, I think scarcity mindset is, is driven by fear ultimately. Like, yes. so... You wouldn't want to share with him, like, here's my business plan because he might go do it. But um, the abundant mindset and being authentic, I think if you just put all your cards on the table, people are really attracted to that. And you know, I see that in my business where I'm talking with investors and they say, well, gosh, what's the worst thing that can happen? And I'm like, well, the worst thing that can happen is I can run away with all your money. Like literally, you could wire 100 grand and I leave town. Like that could happen. Um, Yeah. But let's talk about the things that are in place that would actually protect everybody from that occurring, right? And I just mean, to, when you... to... yeah, go ahead. Yeah, go
0: ahead. No, 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 go on. I was just gonna say, but that, that they trust, trust you. You, you've built the trust. You've put in the work. You've shown it, and you're able to answer the questions, and you're honest, and that puts puts them at ease, right? It's all exactly. trust, and they're not. You're not going to run away with a hundred grand, and and they believe that. Um, they know that, yeah. right? Because they, you've put in that work. Yep. Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
1: So I'm curious, we're kind of, we're at about 40 minutes now, but I'm wondering, you know, taking a look at self-storage, where we're at kind of in this economic cycle, I'm curious, obviously you're a big fan of self-storage and you're you're going all in with self-storage, but where do you see, where do you see this industry going? Where do you see your business going? Like what's, what's on the horizon for, for not only self-storage, but Maven as yeah. well?
0: From Maven, I think, focusing on more ground up developments, um, doing bigger, uh, capital raises, more 506C capital raises, um, bigger projects overall. And yeah, that's where I see, I see things going. Um, and with self-storage, it's just interesting. You know, I had my facilities, uh, evaluated the other day. I got evaluation on the facilities and, um, the valuations weren't as high as I expected, simply because of cap rates, because of interest rates, right? Like it just people, one facility was like, ah, we will give you a 7% cap rate in a year ago, it would have been a 6% cap rate all day long, right? And that's a, that makes a big, a big difference. So we'll see. It's interesting. Um, I don't think like the bigger the facilities, the less impact you're going to have, I think on those, like the less you're going to be impacted by The changes in interest rates, right? Because if you are building 60,000 square feet, and you're building it in a way where extra space or public would want to take it over or buy it from you, well, they're buying in all cash. So it doesn't really matter if interest rates are 8% or if they're 4%. Well, I mean, they can use that to their advantage, I'm sure, right to like when they're making offers, but um, they're buying in all cash. So I'm focusing more on building a portfolio of of larger facilities also you can you have more alternatives for um financing options right like you can go to like life insurance companies uh the smaller facilities you're not able to do that because it's just not worth their their time to finance something really small so um there's going to be there's going to continue to be opportunities uh like i said before i think some facilities will be exposed because uh people the demand has has decreased but um there's going to be you know there's I think that I believe right there's a shortage of of houses really throughout the the country and that's those are you know that's where the path of progress really is and those people need self storage this one that I I talked about ear- earlier um it's where it is, right? It's in the path of progress. There's all, there's developments happening. So, um, yeah, I think it's just really doubling down and being sure of the demographics of where you are, you are buying, um, income, that sort of thing, population, demand, supply and demand. Yep.
2: Awesome. Well, hey, Sean. You know, this has been a huge help uh for me and our listeners as well I do have a couple quick questions before we wrap it up sure. um any advice for someone that's looking to get in this space maybe purchase their first self storage facility and secondly what is the best way for people to find out more about you connect with you Maven uh Maven self storage uh and and yeah
0: yeah so connect with me uh mavenequities.com um That's probably the best. You can email me, Sean, at mavenequities.com or just go and check out the website. If you have a self-storage facility you might want to sell, you can go to mavenstorage.com or just email me at Sean at mavenstorage. Both go to the same email. But, um, yeah, that's the best way to to connect with me. I'm always looking to connect with others and talk talk storage. But um, as far as advice, I would say for people looking to get in, Study creative finance. Uh, go, go look at guys like Pace Morby and like yeah, Pace Morby is mostly talking about residential homes right now and how to buy and sell residential homes with subject to or just seller financing. But those same tactics can be applied to self storage. It's kind of like you know everybody's been obsessed with the Burr strategy, all right? Like buy, rehab, rent, refinance, repeat right so they go buy a, a house and they rehab it and refinance it, rent it out and repeat it Well, it's the same thing with with self storage you're just you're buying a facility you're adding value to it, you're refinancing it you're rent leasing it back up right and then you go repeat it you do do it again same exact thing it applies to commercial as well. so I'd say those creative financing strategies that are being applied to residential, properties they can also be applied to uh commercial. So build relationships and think creatively and look the worst they can say is no. So make offers. But you're you're going to see more people who are open to creative financing opportunities especially in this economy because look if I can't go if I have to go get bank debt at 8% versus bank debt at 4% but you still want the value it was last year when I could get bank debt at 4%. It's like, okay, well, maybe you be the bank and then we can work this out. And I think you're going to see a lot more people who are open to those um, types of of opportunities.
2: That makes so much sense, Sean. And, uh, you know, right along with that, the no that you get after asking the question uh, is better than the no that you get before asking it, right? Yeah. So give it a shot because you might get a yes, right? love it right
0: the first step in uh, negotiating is to ask well good stuff sean douglas uh
1: thank you guys so much really good episode neat kind of getting into the mind of the um, the uh self storage operator and hearing how really a lot of these same principles apply regardless of the asset class regardless Absolutely. of of the industry and the economic cycle at the end of the day if you can jump in and and become an expert and add value to any type of operations, you're going to drive value and increase the value of that asset. And um, ultimately, I think that's what we're all here doing. Whether it's real estate or personal relationships, the more value we can bring, I think, Sean, you said it best earlier, um, the more value is going to come back to us kind of tenfold. So awesome, Absolutely. awesome episode today, guys. Thanks for, uh, for being on the show. And we'll look forward to doing this again.
0: Hey you guys, it's one of your hosts, Sean Graham. Uh, We just recorded an episode with Randy and Doug and we talked about self-storage. So it was a lot of fun. If you enjoyed the episode, go ahead and hit the subscribe button, hit the like button and uh, support us. Every subscribe, every like definitely makes a difference from our end. Uh, If you wanna get in touch with me, you can reach out at sean at mavenequities.com or sean at mavenstorage.com those are my websites as well i'm always open to talking to investors operators uh self-storage owners i like connecting with everyone and just just learning um anyways thanks for the support and i hope you enjoyed the episode well there you have it ladies and gentlemen another episode of the gentle art of crushing it it was an amazing episode We know we sure learned a lot, and we hope you did as well. We want to take a second, and thank you so much for viewing or listening to this episode. And please just know that we only ask for one favor, and that is to make this life magnificent. Thank you, and have a wonderful day.